Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Panchakalpajibascha Kipasindviyavata Patitanam Pavanevyo Vaishnavijanamon Maha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya February 10th, 2021, over the internet from Hilo, Hawaii. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 24. Chanting the song sung by Lord Shiva, text 45 to 46. Sigda Pravrit Ganashamam Sarva Sundarya Sangraham Charvayata Chatur Babu Sujata Ruchirananam Padmakosha Palasa Aksham Sundara Brusunashikam Sudvijam Sukapolasham Samakarna Bibushanam Glistening Favorite Rainy season Ganashamam Densely cloudy Sarva All Sundarya Beauty Sangraham Collection Charu Beautiful Ayata Bodily feature Chaturubahu Under the forearmed Sujata Ultimately beautiful Ruchira Very pleasing Ananam Face Padmakosha The wall of the lotus flower Palasha Petals Aksham Eyes Sundara Beautiful Brew Eyebrows Sunashikam 
Raise nose. Sudrijam. Beautiful teeth. Sukapola. Beautiful forehead. Asyam. Face. Samakarna. Equally beautiful ears. Vibhushanam. Beautifully decorated. Muted. Unmuted. Srila Prabhupada's translation. The Lord's beauty resembles a dark cloud during the rainy season. As the rainfall glistens, his bodily features also glisten. Indeed, he is the sum total of all beauty. The Lord has four arms and an, ex- and an exquisitely beautiful face with eyes like lotus petals, a beautiful highly raised nose, a mind-attracting smile, a beautiful forehead, and equally beautiful and fully decorated ears. Okay, one second, I need to just... Srila Prabhupada's purport. After the scorching heat of the summer season, it is very pleasing to see dark clouds in the sky. As confirmed in Brahma Samhita, Barha Vatam Samasitam Buddham Sundarangam. The Lord wears a peacock feather in his hair, and his bodily complexion is just like a blackish cloud. The word Sindara, or Snigda, means very pleasing. Kandarpakoti Kamaniya, Krishna's beauty, is so pleasing that not even millions upon millions of cupids can compare to it. The Lord's form as Vishnu is decorated in all opulence. Therefore, Lord Shiva is trying to see that most opulent form of Narayana or Vishnu. The Lord's form as Vishnu is decorated in all opulence. Therefore, Lord Shiva is trying to see that most opulent form of Narayana or Vishnu. Generally, the worship of the Lord begins with the worship of Narayana or Vishnu, whereas the worship of Lord Krishna and Radha is most confidential. Lord Narayana is worshipable by the Pancharatriki Vidhi or regulated principles, whereas Lord Krishna is worshipable by the Bhagavat Vidhi. No one can worship the Lord in the Bhagavat Vidhi without going through the regulations of the Pancharatriki Vidhi. Actually, neophyte devotees worship the Lord according to the Pancharatriki Vidhi or the regulated principles enjoined in the Narada Pancharatra. Radhakrishna cannot be approached by the neophyte devotees. Therefore, temple worship, according to regulative principles, is offered to Lakshmi Narayana. Although there may be a Radhakrishna vigraha or form, the worship of the neophyte devotees is accepted as Lakshmi Narayana worship. Worship according to the Pancharatriki Vidhi is called Vidhi Marga, and worship according to the Bhagavad Vidhi principles is called Raga Marga. The principles of Raga Marga are especially meant for devotees who are elevated to the Vrindavana platform. The inhabitants of Vrindavana, the gopis, Madhyasoda, Nanda Maharaj, the cowherd boys, the cows, and everyone else, are actually on the Raga Marga or Bhagavat Marga platform. They participate in five basic rasas, 
Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, Madhurya, and Shanta. But although these five rasas are found in the Bhagavata Marga, the Bhagavata Marga is especially meant for Vatsalya and Madhurya, or parental and conjugal relationships. Yet there is the Vishramba Sakya, the higher fraternal worship of the Lord, especially enjoyed by the cowherd boys. Although there is friendship between Krishna and the cowherd boys, this friendship is different from the Aishvarya friendship between Krishna and Arjuna. When Arjuna saw the Vishvarupa, the gigantic universal form of the Lord, he was afraid for having treated Krishna as an ordinary friend. Therefore, he begged Krishna's pardon. However, the cowherd boys who are friends of Krishna and Vrindavana sometimes ride on the shoulders of Krishna. They treat Krishna equally, just as they treat one another, and they are never afraid of him, nor do they ever beg his pardon. Thus, the Raga Marga or Bhagavat Marga friendship exists on a higher platform with Krishna, namely the platform of Vishramba friendship. Parental friendship, parental friendship, parental service, and conjugal service are visible in the Vrindavana Raga Marga relationships. It looks like there's an editing mistake there. Without serving Krishna according to the Vidhi Marga regulated principles of the Pancharatriki Vidhi, unscrupulous persons want to jump immediately to the Raga Marga principles. Such persons are called Sahajiya. There are also demons who enjoy depicting Krishna's pastimes with the gopis, taking advantage of Krishna by their licentious character. These demons who print books and write lyrics on the Raga Marga principles are surely on the way to hell. Unfortunately, they lead others down with them. Devotees in Krishna consciousness should be very careful to avoid such demons. One should strictly follow the Vidhi Marga regulative principles in the worship of Lakshmi Narayana, although the Lord is present in the temple as Radha Krishna. Radha Krishna includes Lakshmi Narayana, therefore when one worships the Lord according to the regulative principles, the Lord accepts the service in the role of Lakshmi Narayana. In the Nectar Devotion, full instructions are given about the Vidhi Marg worship of Radha Krishna or Lakshmi Narayana. Although there are 64 kinds of offenses one can commit in Vidhi Marga worship, in Raga Marga worship, there's no consideration of such offenses because the devotees on that platform are very much elevated and there is no question of offense. But if we do not follow the regulative principles on the Vidhi Marga platform and keep our eyes trained to spot offenses, we will not make progress. In his description of Krishna's beauty, Lord Shiva uses the words Charvayatra Chatur Bahu Sujata Ruchi Rananam, indicating the beautiful four-armed form of Narayana, or Vishnu. Those who worship Lord Krishna describe him as Sujata Ruchi Rananam. In the Vishnu Tattva, there are hundreds and thousands and millions of forms of the Supreme Lord, but of all these forms, the form of Krishna is the most beautiful. Thus, for those who worship Krishna, the word Sujata Ruchirananam is used. The forearm, the forearms of Lord Vishnu have different purposes. The hands holding a lotus flower and conch shell are meant for the devotees, whereas the other two hands holding a disc and mace or club are meant for the demons. Actually, all of the Lord's arms are auspicious, whether they are holding conch shells and flowers or clubs and discs. The demons killed by Lord Vishnu's chakra disc and chub, club <laughs> are elevated to the spiritual world, just like the devotees who are protected by the hands holding the lotus flower and conch shell. However, the demons who are elevated to the spiritual world are situated in the impersonal Brahman effulgence, whereas the devotees are allowed to enter into the Vaikuntha planets. Those who are devotees of Lord Krishna are immediately elevated to the Goloka Vrindavana planet. 
The Lord's beauty is compared to rainfall because when the rain falls in the rainy season, it becomes more and more pleasing to the people. After the scorching heat of the summer season, the people enjoy the rainy season very much. Indeed, they even come out of their doors in the villages and enjoy the rainfall directly. Thus, the Lord's bodily features are compared to the clouds of the rainy season. The devotees enjoy the Lord's beauty because it is a collection of all kinds of beauties. Therefore, the word Sarva Sundara Sangraham is used. No one can say that the body of the Lord is wanting in beautiful parts. It is completely Purnam. Everything is complete. God's creation, God's beauty, and God's bodily features. All these are so complete that all one's desires can become fully satisfied when one sees the beauty of the Lord. The word Sarva Sundaram indicates that there are different types of beauties in the material and spiritual world and that the Lord contains all of them. Both materialists and spiritualists can enjoy the beauty of the Lord. Because the Supreme Lord attracts everyone, including demons and devotees, materialists and spiritualists, he is called Krishna. Similarly, his devotees also attract everyone. As mentioned in the Sad Goswami Stotra, Dira Dira Jana Priyo, the Goswamis are equally dear to the Dhiras, devotees, and Adhira, demons. Lord Krishna was not very pleasing to the demons when he was pleasant in Vrindavana, but the six Goswamis were pleasing to the demons when they were present in Vrindavana. That is the beauty of the Lord's dealings with his devotees. Sometimes the Lord gives more credit to his devotees than he takes for himself. For instance, on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, Lord Krishna fought simply by giving directions. Yet it was Arjuna who took the credit for fighting. Nimita matram bhava savyasachin. You, O savyasachi Arjuna, can be but an instrument in the fight. Bhagavad Gita 11.33 Everything was arranged by the Lord, but the credit of victory was given to Arjuna. Similarly, in the Krishna consciousness movement, everything is happening according to the predictions of Lord Chaitanya, but the credit goes to Lord Chaitanya's sincere servants. Thus the Lord is described herein as sarva sondran sangraham. Snigdha pravrid ganashanam sarva sundaram sangraham charvyata chatur bahu sujata ruchirananam padmakosha palashaksham sundara brigusundak sundara bru sunakshikam suvidyam su kapolasyam samakamna vibhushanam. The Lord's beauty resembles a dark cloud. During the rainy season, as the rainfall glistens, his bodily features also glisten. Indeed, he is the sum total of all beauty. The Lord has four arms and an equally beautiful face with eyes like lotus petals, a beautiful highly raised nose, a mind-attracting smile, a beautiful forehead, and equally beautiful and fully decorated ears. When I first decided that I was going to take up Krishna consciousness seriously, uh, I was still going to college, and I was taking art classes. And in my art classes, I wanted to draw pictures of Krishna. I said, I wanted to draw pictures of Krishna because he is the most beautiful. So I was very attracted to this concept of Krishna's beauty. I remember, though, also in college at the time, that in my literature class, the professor asked us 
to write an essay about truth and beauty. And so I wrote an essay about how truth has got to be the most beautiful. And the professor was arguing with me, and he said, a lot of truth is not beautiful. He said, there's a lot of ugly, true things in the world. And I said, no, truth is beautiful. Truth is beautiful. So it's interesting, uh, even the other day, I was reading something by this impersonalist, how he said that when he gained his impersonal realization, he understood that the world was full of beauty, that the, the truth was beautiful. So what to speak of if one actually sees the form of the Lord? And of course, Krishna is attractive by all of his opulences. We are certainly attracted to strength. We are attracted to wealth. We are attracted to renunciation. Uh, We are attracted to fame. We're attracted to so many things. But I think what immediately attracts our attention is beauty. Yes, I've told this story many, many times. How years ago, I don't know how many years ago, 30? I was, uh, this was way before security in airports. This is when you could go right up to the gate to, to say goodbye to someone. Anyway, I was at this airport and there was this young woman who was just strikingly beautiful. And in fact, I don't think I've ever seen anyone that beautiful before or since. She was so beautiful that literally every single person walking by, she was. I was waiting at the gate and she was in a chair in the corridor. And so all these people are walking by in the, in the hallway, in the corridor. And literally every single person who walked by, uh, man, woman, child, everybody just was staring at this, this woman. Uh, and she was just, it was so... Uh, her beauty was so dynamic and, and, and so surprising. And those days you could smoke in airports. It gives you an idea of what the date of this must have been. At a certain point, she took out a cigarette and, and lit the cigarette. As soon as she lit the cigarette, uh, not nearly as many people looked at her. I, I found it quite interesting how she, she damaged her beauty by, by picking up a cigarette. Uh, but the point is that, that beauty is very entrancing. It's very attractive. And the, the Lord is the sum total of all beauties. You know, if we think that this woman that I saw, uh, she was simply a human, and a human in Kali Yuga, and it's said that compared to the demigoddesses, the human beings in Kali Yuga look like frogs. <laughs> so, you know, we can just uh, somewhat imagine what the higher beings look like. Uh, the higher beings in this universe, even the the apsaras, who are not full demigoddesses, they're so beautiful that when they come to earth, they're able to disturb the meditation even of very accomplished sages and yogis. And what to speak of the great demigoddesses that one cannot even imagine, or the, the demigods also, they're, they're striking in their, in their beauty. And of course, the, we're talking here, Krishna is beyond, beyond, beyond anything in this universe. As Prabhupada's making the point, he's even more beautiful than Narayana. So the the sum total of all beauty is there in the form of Krishna. Of course, here in this prayer, Lord Shiva, we can tell because he says, who he's talking about, forearm form. So he's talking about Vishnu or Narayana, not Krishna. Uh, But of course, Prabhupada, because Prabhupada is Prabhupada. Prabhupada is a Vrindavan man. So Prabhupada spends a lot of time in the purport talking about Krishna in Vrindavan. Uh, it's quite, quite charming. 
So, Srila Prabhupada makes some points here about Krishna's beauty that I thought we would uh, look at today. The first is in relationship to this uh, distinction between the non-distinct of Narayana and Krishna, that they are the same person. However, they are completely the same person. We don't have a multiplicity of gods. It's not that Adoitama Chujamanadi Mananta Rupam, it's not that all the gods are Ramadi Murtishukala Niamanatistan, all the incarnations are different gods. Uh, they're all the same god, but he has different forms. I mean, that's true to some extent, even for us with our material body, according to my mood, according to how I'm dressed, according to what I'm doing, I may look considerably different. Right? You can take a lot of photographs of the same person and they can look considerably different in the different photographs depending on their mood and, and their attire and so forth. Uh, so Krishna, when he has different moods and different pastimes, his form looks sometimes quite different. Sometimes it looks like a, a boar or it looks like a fish or something like that, depending on his mood, but he's always the same person. And his form can expand into unlimited forms simultaneously. Actually, the liberated jiva can also expand into many, many forms simultaneously. So in Krishna, in the form of Krishna, he is displaying the summit of all beauty, although uh, we may say Krishna Balaram the same. In fact, Balaram is listed as an incarnation of the Lord's beauty. Uh, so when we say Krishna, we mean Krishna Balaram. Krishna Balaram. So Srila Prabhupada is uh, first talking here about the distinction of the non-distinction between Krishna and Narayana. And the, the difference in mood is that Narayana is in the mood of God. Now those devotees who prefer to worship Narayana, they like the concept of being very reverential towards God. That's, that's their summit of enjoyment. Just like Bhishma, he was seeing Krishna as Krishna, of course, Dwarkadish Krishna. But even he knew about Krishna's pastimes with the gopis, and he was asking for the blessings of the gopis, but he wanted to worship the Lord as Narayana. He wanted to go to Vaikuntha. So some devotees, and Prabhupada comments there, how devotees have different tastes. So some devotees prefer to worship the Lord as Narayana, and they generally see Narayana as supreme, because their definition of supreme is what is, is who is the most God-like who is the most opulent. So their understanding is that the, the highest form of God is the form of, the, of God, who is the most God-like, who is the most opulent, who is the most regal. Right? Whereas we Godias, we say, the highest form of God is he who has the greatest variety of rasas and who is the most intimate. Hmm? So... That's a personal taste of the devotee. One can talk about logically, shastrically, that this can refer to the two-armed form of Krishna being supreme over that of Vishnu. Uh, but it does come down to personal taste. Uh, what incarnation, what form of the Lord a devotee wants to worship. So the worship of Narayana, Lakshmi Narayana, Prabhupada says, is done in reverence. Here, here's God. You know, here's God, I have to worship God in, in reverence. There's, there's this mood. And the worship of Krishna is done uh, casually. Like Srila Prabhupada talking about Krishna's friends, and he says they, that Arjuna, who's Krishna's friend, 
when he sees the Visharupa, he's, oh, pardon me, pardon me, excuse me, that I was intimate with you, that I was, you know, an intimate friend, that I was, I was sitting on the same level as you and joking with you. Whereas he says, the coward boys, they see Krishna totally as an equal and they never say, Krishna, please excuse me for being too casual. Yes, so the worship of Radha and Krishna is has this uh, aspect of casualness to it. You know, Radha Rani's friends are instructing her, uh, get angry with Krishna and, and don't talk to Krishna now. <laughs> you know, don't let him in. So, uh, the, this kind of thing. And, and insulting Krishna. Krishna, you know, you, you've been with doing this and that, you... You know, the parents, you've been stealing butter, I'm going to tie you up, I'm going to put you in the corner, and, uh, yeah, take your, put your toys away. <laughs> so this never, no one ever talks like this to Lakshmi Narayan. Never, no one ever goes up to Lord Narayan and says, Narayana, I'm confiscating your club. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but the gopis, they're stealing Krishna's flute. They, they do that all the time. You know? I don't have it. So this doesn't go on in Vaikuntha. Vaikuntha, they're not, they're not stealing the Lord's lotus flower and so forth. And so Srila Prabhupada's making the point that when we're starting our practice of Krishna consciousness, that we start in a mood of reverence, that even though the deities have a form of Radha and Krishna, Prabhupada didn't, in my knowledge, didn't install any forms of Lakshmi Narayan. He did install forms of Sita Ram, but not Lakshmi Narayan. And he installed many forms of Radha and Krishna. So even though we're worshipping the deity in the form of Radha and Krishna, that we're following the vidhi, we're following the rules. You know, the, the cowherd boys aren't following the rules. They take a samosa, and they, and they, they take one of Krishna's samosas off his plate. And then they say, oh, look at the monkey over there! And Krishna looks at the monkey, and well, that's not even there. They just say there's a monkey over there. They lie. Look, Krishna, look at the monkey. When he's looking at the monkey that's not there, they quickly take the vegetables out of the samosa and they put jab- jasmine flowers in and they close it up and they put it back on Krishna's plate. So we're not supposed to do that in, in our deity worship. <laughs> we're not supposed to do that in our deity worship. We're supposed to give samosas with vegetables in them. You know, and when Krishna's eating with the coward boys or eating with the gopis, you know, they're eating at the same time. Krishna's sitting down with the gopis and they're all eating together. Krishna's sitting with the coward boys. They're all eating together. So you don't do that when you're a servant. Those of you who grew up with servants, or if you visited places where people have servants, that's not what goes on. The servant serves the meal, and then the servant is there while the master is eating. The servant is there to serve further dishes and so forth, to be available. And when the master's finished, and the servant helps the master wash their hands and clears off the table and so forth, and then the servant sits down and eats, almost always in another place. Usually the servant doesn't sit at the master's table to eat. They sit in another place. I mean, unless the master only has one table. But at least it's after the master's finished eating. And, you know, it, as I say, usually in another place. If it's the old homes and apartments, they would have a servant's quarters for the servants to... I mean, I grew up with servants, and this was... I remember uh, when my mother was very elderly, and she needed a full-time aide... And she definitely treated the aide like a servant. I mean, once when I was visiting her, so I had cooked and made an offering, and we're sitting and eating, and I said, you know, why don't you ask your, your uh, aide here to eat with us? And my mother 
gets quiet and she says, never have the servants eat with you. They have to know their place. That's okay. So, you know, she could eat later. In that case, it was just one table. But anyway, she could eat later. So this is the mood when we're taking care of the deities. And when we're taking care of the deities, we serve the deities on very fancy plates, maybe silver plates. And when the deities are finished eating, then we eat. You know, same thing like a servant would do. They finish serving the master, they clear off the table, and so forth, and then they eat. So, you know, we finish serving Krishna, we wash Krishna's plates, and, and then we sit and eat. And we eat in a different place. We're not, we're not sitting on the altar and eating. You know, generally what we do is after the, you know, if you have to serve prasadam in a temple room, some of our temples, we have to eat in the temple room, then you close the curtains. So you're not just eating with Krishna, you're eating in the, the servants' quarters. You know, so Krishna has his plates and stuff. So this means we're serving Lord Lakshmi Narayan. We're not, we're not serving the deities in the mood of Radha Krishna, which is very casual. And we want to come to the point of serving Radha Krishna, but we go through the process of first being reverent. That if we're not reverent at first, then uh, we may actually be offensive to Krishna. And I think... We can understand this in our dealings with other human beings. I was once attending a, a seminar. I had been one of the speakers at the seminar. There were maybe another, I don't know, 10 devotee speakers. And at the end of the program, it was, I think, a five-day, five, six-day event. Some kind of, it was like a kind of retreat. So at the end... Uh, the organizer had all of us speakers sit up on a stage in an auditorium and the 200 or so people who had been in attendance, who had been our students, were sitting in the auditorium. And the, the organizer proceeded to insult each of the speakers. I, I'm not making this up. The organizer went for each of us and said something insulting. So, I was feeling very uncomfortable when he was doing this, hearing him insult the other speakers, and of course I didn't enjoy being insulted myself. And I could see that many people in the audience, especially people who were from Asian cultures, were very uncomfortable. Yeah? And I talked to this organizer later, and I said, you know don't really insult the speakers and the leaders in front of 200 people. And he said, well, I'm from Ireland and we, we show our love for our friends by insulting them. And I said, Prabhu, that's true everywhere. That's not only true in Ireland, that when you're very intimate with someone, when you're very close with someone, when you have a very casual, loving relationship with someone, one of the ways that you demonstrate that is through very playful insults. I said, but that's private. It's playful and it's private. And it's done after you've established that there's trust. Right? First, you, you understand that I can trust somebody. And then, then when you playfully insult them, they understand that you're not really insulting them. You, you can understand that such a thing is 
It's a test of, of trust, isn't it? Because usually if someone insults me, I become offended. And I want to defend myself, or I want to counterattack them, or I want to cut off the relationship. So when you're very close to someone, they can insult you. Yes? And, and you don't take offense. So therefore, Srila Prabhupada says that in the reverential stage, he says in this purport, we should be very conscious of the offenses. Our, our eyes should be open to the offenses. And he says in the rag platform, there is no offenses. It may appear that way. You know, it may appear that way. You know, if you walk in on two very good friends and they're, they're punching each other or they're in trading insults, you may think, oh my goodness. You know, they're being insulting. But that's not their experience. I mean, it, it's a little related. It's a funny story. I was traveling with one of my grandsons, Vikram uh, Rastikashekar. So he was wanted to get my attention, and he's like, Grandma, Grandma. And uh, one of the other devotees got very upset with him. He thought that he, he thought my grandson was using the word grandma like you might say, hey, old lady. Like, hey, old lady. <laughs> so he said to my grandson, you shouldn't be calling grandma, you know, Mother Ermila, grandma. You should call her Mother Ermila. And my grandson looks at this devotee and said, but she is my grandma. <laughs> so... In a similar way, we may look at the devotees at the rock platform and we may just we may think, wow, you know, that's kind of offensive and not understand their, their intimacy. So the, when we're enjoying the beauty of the Lord, uh, first we enjoy the beauty of the Lord in a very reverential way, in a view of awe and reverence, and not in a, in a mood of intimacy. And gradually... As the Lord comes to trust us, you know, we often think, how can I increase my faith in Krishna? But Krishna's like, how can I increase my faith in this devotee? Once the Lord comes to trust us, he reveals more of, he reveals our intimate relationship with him. And at that time, there's no question of offenses. So this beauty of the Lord, whether seen in reverence or whether seen in intimacy, Prabhupada says is fully satisfying. In fact, Srila Prabhupada says here that the Lord's beauty contains all material and spiritual beauties. And he says both the materialist and the spiritualist can enjoy his beauty. And I was thinking about the beautiful things we see on this planet. And this is not a very beautiful planet, relatively speaking. It's just at the border of the, of the, the bottom border of the middle planets. You know, it's like it's like if you go into someone's home that they're lower middle class, you know, it's probably not going to be a, a particularly beautiful home. I mean, not compared to like, you know, someone who's, who's very, very wealthy and might have, you know, original Van Gogh paintings in their house. Uh, uh, but still there's a lot of beauty here. There's a beauty of the sunrise, the sunset, the flowers, the birds, which are compared in the Bhagavatam to the Lord's artistic sense, right? There's... Uh, the, the beauty of the, the, the night sky, uh, the northern lights, the volcanoes, the lightning. I mean, here the Lord's beauty is compared to a rain cloud and that his form is glistening, it's glittering, like, like the rain, uh, glittering. And it's a very satisfying beauty, uh, just like Prabhupada says, after it's been very, very hot. You know, any of you who spent time in India, when it's very hot, 
and then the rain comes. So it's a very satisfying, the beauty of the rain is, is very, very satisfying. So the materialists can enjoy the Lord's beauty in the Lord's creation. They can see, I mean, so, so many insects even are extraordinarily beautiful. It, it's sort of amazing. I often wonder, or fish, I often wonder about the beauty of these creatures who have no way of appreciating their own beauty. You know, if we're beautiful, we can look in a mirror or look at a photograph of ourselves and, and uh, you know, appreciate our own beauty. But these creatures, uh, these birds and, and fish and insects and so forth that are gorgeous and colorful, incredibly colorful, uh, they have no way of appreciating their own beauty. I mean, it, it's interesting that the higher beings on this planet, like the mammals, you know, generally are, are not particularly colorful, that the most colorful beings are, are lower. They're the birds, the, the insects, the fish, and the plants, <laughs> the flowers that are, that are full of variety of color and shape. and uh, Incredible. And, of course, there's not just the beauty of the form itself, but there's the beauty of movement. And that, of course, we do see in many mammals, the graceful beauty. You know, the beauty of the... Krishna is often compared to an elephant walking. So the beauty of an elephant or the beautiful lion uh, in these prayers, the Lord's also compared to a lion. Uh, sometimes the Lord's walk is compared to that of a peacock. So beauty of grace. Yeah, There's also beauty of sound. I mean, if we think about the, the birds as his artistic sense, we can think of that in terms of their form, their grace in flight, and their, their sound. So this is very, it's, but the Lord's beauty itself is fully satisfying. I'm not going to be fully satisfied just by seeing a beautiful sunset over an ocean with mountains in the background and lightning going in the sky and all these things. Uh, that's not going to fully satisfy me. Or walking by this, this beautiful girl in the airport, you know, that's not going to fully satisfy me. But Krishna's beauty is fully satisfying. And it's fully satisfying to everyone from all perspectives. And and Krishna's beauty is fully satisfying in that it goes on and 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 on. It's this dynamic, ever-increasing beauty. You know, if I see something beautiful in the world, it, it has its limits. It has its, its end, you know. Uh, but with Krishna's beauty, it doesn't end. I don't get to a point where I say, okay, now I've seen everything there is to see. I mean, that happens in this world. You know, someone there, maybe they're married to a particularly beautiful person, but after a while, it's just, you know, they get bored of it. It's, you know, all your beautiful features. So it's not like that with Krishna. It's ever-expanding. There's always more beauty to appreciate. And there's and, and a number of the works of the Goswamis, the the gopis will describe like that. Yeah. I, I, I feel like, who is this beautiful person? Oh, that's Krishna. Krishna? <laughs> And they're, they're astonished. I've seen Krishna many times. <laughs> but this person is so beautiful. So they're constantly expanding, constantly expanding. And uh, the final point here is, is really interesting. And it shows how Krishna is, is so loving and so non-envious. Right? In this world, if we're very beautiful, we tend to be very envious. There's that uh, fairy tale of the, the evil lady who wanted to be the most beautiful, and when she found out there was another woman who was more beautiful, she poisoned her. <laughs> so this is this is the nature of the world, you know. Uh, they say that the the women who are fashion models 
are the most insecure about their own physical appearance. You know, they're constantly going through insecurities. Maybe there's another girl more beautiful than I am. And they don't want to share their beauty. Uh, this is, and it's true even if we have a beautiful home or a beautiful car or whatever. You know, we, we want to, or you have a beautiful pet. You know, you, someone's writing about horses being beautiful. So if I own a beautiful horse, uh, it's all right if my neighbor has a horse, but I want my horse to be more beautiful. My wife has to be more beautiful. We don't like that. Uh, so we, we're envious. We, we, we're willing to share, but only up to a point. So here Prabhupada's ending was saying how Krishna is sharing his beauty with the devotee. Uh, that, that the devotee can be more attractive. And Prabhupada gives the example that when Krishna was in Vrindavan, the demons didn't like him very much. But when the Goswamis, Krishna's devotees were in Vrindavan, Dira, Dira, Janapriyo, that, that uh, Priya means dear, that the Goswamis were Priya, dear, to the Dira and the Adira Jana. You know, that whoever, the, the devotees could even be dear to the demons. And of course, we find Prahlad Maharaj was made the king of the demons, Bali Maharaj was made the king of the demons, Bibisham was made the king of the demons, and the demons were willing to follow the devotee. So, of course, we see that uh, Lord Buddha, he comes in the role of a devotee and he attracts the demons. Lord Shiva comes as Sankaracharya and he attracts the atheists. So that, uh, whereas when God himself comes, people may not like him, but when the devotee comes, people can be attracted. So Krishna likes to take a background role, likes to, to take a supporting role. I'm just giving direction here on the battlefield. Arjuna is the the actually attractive one. And so Krishna is, it's one of the opulences, one of the liberations rather, one of the five kinds of liberation is that Krishna shares his opulences with the devotees, that the devotees have equal opulences to that of Krishna. Or even greater it appears. It appears that the devotee has even greater opulences than that of Krishna. Krishna takes a background role and he has the devotee shining uh, we see this in this world sometimes in loving relationships. Uh, we tend to see it mostly in parents and children, where their parents are happy when the child excels them. So we, we tend to see it mostly there. Uh, even other family-type relationships, brothers and sisters, we are talking about sibling rivalry. And between husbands and wives, there's sometimes some competition. you know. Uh, but be- between parents and children, the parents... There's many parents who are envious of their children, but generally we, the parents don't feel threatened by the child's opulences. They feel that the child's opulences are a reflection on themselves. And so if the child is more beautiful than they are and more opulent, they become pleased. At least we see that sometimes. So Krishna has this, this mood. This is such a wonderful verse, uh, a verse that I've always... This whole section of the Bhagavatam where Lord Shiva is describing the form of the Lord. There's a similar section with Lord Kapiladev where he's describing the Lord. Is a section that I've always especially relished, uh, just to read about the Lord's, the Lord's beauty and the Lord's glistening like, like the rainfall. Um, I do have to go someplace uh, that I have to be at. I could take just one question. I have a question. I'll ask you a question. Okay. Um, I'll, 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 I'll
If you guys don't work it out, I won't have time even for one question. Okay, <laughs> Ralph, go ahead. You're the master chairman. This question has been asked several times, but I want to hear your answer. Uh, our deities, Rabbi Shan, Masunda, Archbishop Balaram, Dorna, died. They're all beautiful in all our Islam temples. However, in other temples like uh, Madan Mohan or uh, Radha Raman, you know, they have very exaggerated features, you know, like big eyes or something like that. So I don't want to sound offensive, but this question has been asked. Why uh, portray the Lord like that? I have no idea. It's been a question I've wondered for a long time. I have no idea. Oh. I've also had that question, and I I don't know if I've ever actually asked anybody that question, but uh, it's something that I've wondered for a long time. That why are some of the why are some of the deity forms uh, like that? Of course, we could really ask that about Jagannath. Well, yeah, I was going to ask about Jagannath. But why, why does the Lord appear in Jagannath, Balaram, and Subhadra that, you know, doesn't appear in the same way as the deities we normally have about of Radha and Krishna or Gornitai and Krishna Balaram? You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I know of devotees like um, our god sister Ladini, who passed away some years ago, was very attached to Jagannath. And of course, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was particularly attracted by the form of Jagannath. So, I just, that's all. I don't really have anything more to say than that. But, I mean, of course, when Mahaprabhu looked at Jagannath, he saw his beautiful Krishna with just wide open eyes and in ecstasy. Yeah. I am sorry that I do have to go. Uh, I have something I have to get to immediately. So thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to speak on such a wonderful verse. Shiva Prabhupada, Ki Jai. Shiva Bhagavatam, Ki Jai. Goodbye.